three, two, one. John, am I live? You're live, sir. Hey guys, welcome to our ninth episode of Wheelhouse. We're almost at number 10, which is kind of exciting here. We have a awesome show. I have my good friend Lawrence Dunning back on today. We have the last couple of weeks had a little bit of technical difficulties with different guests. So we wanted to bring some people back who have been extremely influential. And Lawrence is a guy we're going to have on a bunch of times because he's just a guy that everybody wants to learn from. Everybody wants to hear from. He's a mentor to me. He's um, kind of been somebody I've looked up to for a very long time. I attribute a lot of my success to the fact that uh, he's like a big brother to me. So I'm excited to have him back on today. And of course, we got John. John, can they see you? Now they can. Cool. Hello, everybody. Um, what's going on with you, John? Uh, not too much. Just working. And uh, I want to give a quick shout-out. You always got good shout-outs. I know, I know. Right? What's the shout-out today for? So I'm going this Saturday to a dedication ceremony out in Willowbrook for Maggie's father. And uh, there is a pavilion in a park near their house that's being dedicated in his name. Wow because of all of the charity, charitable efforts and uh, charity work he does in and around the neighborhood. Wow. This is going to be the second time I've gone to something like this. The man is just, he goes out of his way for everybody, and it's nice to see recognition. And I'm probably going to film a little bit. We might actually do a, a quick clip next, uh, next week. Uh, but quick shout-out to Doug Statina, Maggie's dad. Uh, we were at a Memorial Day parade that he always marches in last week. And then this coming Saturday is the dedication. So it's he's a he's a gentleman to live up to. That's um, that's incredible. It is not easy to get a township or municipality to uh, dedicate something to you. That's right. uh, kudos to him. Congratulations to him and Maggie and the family. That yeah, is, absolutely. you always have good shout outs. I, know I don't good people. <laughs> I don't ever have like a cool shout out, but you oh, always have the shout do. out. So we're, we're good with the shout outs. You have great guests. I do. I do. You do. I, uh, great bump and set for the spike here. That was good. <laughs> so our first guest, Lawrence, thanks for being on again, buddy. My pleasure. Can I, can I give a shout out? Yeah. Give me, give somebody a shout out. So my, uh, my future, no, my current, I just became an uncle. So oh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. So my brother, my brother and his wife had a son, so. Congratulations cool. to your brother. About time. My, my parents will be waiting for either of us to get going. Uh, so it's, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> you're kind of next. I'm next, yeah. You're next. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So born this born, week, yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Very and, cool. Uh, they still haven't found a name yet, so it's exciting. Maybe Lawrence Jr. <laughs> <laughs> your brother's going to be like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, though. Yeah, yeah, boy uh, or girl? A boy. Boy. Oh, very cool. I'm sure mom be. and dad are really excited. Yeah, I'll be back in a couple of weeks to see him. So. Oh, cool. When are you going? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll be out of town in two weeks, too. Um, that's awesome. Um, well, thanks for coming back on. My pleasure. Everybody loves hearing from you, and I figured today we would touch on a, a whole lot of different things. One, uh, maybe elaborate more on how when you moved here, you you started doing everything in the trading world, became super successful in your 20s. I mean, I'm going to say this because he's a humble guy, but... To become a millionaire in your 20s when you just moved here from a different country, it's incredible. It, it, I'm sure a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people can ever say they're a millionaire, let alone a millionaire in your 20s. And then retiring yourself to then go and pursue pa your passion, becoming a successful professional athlete, and then coming back and again becoming super successful in another career, you just, you always win. And I know you've had losses along the way, but you're always winning. So um, I guess for people who maybe didn't listen last time, do you want to let them know 
how you moved here and how you started? Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing is, um, I was in trading and I got in trading. It's, you can be a good trader, but you have to have the right market too. So I was kind of lucky. I came here with a company um, and we were all making a lot of money, but the company was keeping you know 95% of it. So then me and an older guy, um, an older colleague, he said, why are, we, why are we giving away all the money we make? Let's set up our own trading group. So, uh, so we did, and uh, had, we had a couple of good years. We actually just missed it. If we had done it a year or two earlier, it would have been a lot better. Um, but as soon as we started on our own, trading became a lot harder, a lot more, lot more. The the business model of the small groups trading was getting replaced by the big banks kind of taking over. But we still had a couple of years of crossover, and uh, and then it just got to the stage where as trading was changing and I realized I'd made a lot of money, I didn't really, you know, when, you, when you're already into something, it making money in trading is more like keeping score. And it, at the time I was young, I, was, I wasn't really spending it. I had the same place. I didn't have a car back then. I was just, you know, trading and trying to be competitive and win without realizing that, you know, my account's gone up and up and up. So then it got to the stage where as the market was changing, I suddenly thought, well, I've got a whole life to, I assumed I could be trading when I was 80 on a yacht in the south of France. I thought, you know, I've got a lifetime to make money, but I have a very small window to do other things. So that's why I took some time off to follow some athletic things that have a, a timeline based on your age, you know. But of course, I didn't plan it too well because then when I finished with that, I assumed I would step back into my, in my spot on the pit and I would start making money again. And of course, just when that kind of was happening, there was the whole business model had changed. The pit guys were all complaining to me about losing money. And, and that was a bit of a wake up call. I, you know, so I had to reinvent myself thanks to you. Um, and I thought, you know, <laughs> you warned me about real estate being somewhat frustrating, but I know it can be very lucrative too. And my whole thing is once you've worked for yourself, it's very hard to go back yeah. to being told what to do. So I like the flexibility and the opportunity of real estate. So it's been, it's been interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's well. Let's go to real estate, and then I'll go back to the uh, the athletics and everything you did. But real estate is a very, as a realtor, it's a it can be a very frustrating thing, and it's really hard to stay motivated for long enough to be successful. Now you've right. are very successful now, but it hasn't been just a year or two. You've been in it now. This three, is four years. Four years. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we get a lot of new realtors who are like, oh, I want to be as successful as you or Lawrence or Jeff in our office. You know, they look at even like Andrew in our office. Shyby, shout out to Andrew. You know, he's doing so well this year, but he's in year three, and everybody thinks it happens overnight. Right, but. It's been very frustrating to uh, deal with ups and downs, but that's in anything. I mean, when you started your MMA career, even you know, you had a couple couple frustrate frustrating events at the beginning, and then you became For super sure. successful. I think in everything, to be able to become successful, you have to be able to stomach a very high level of frustration and failure. And you always, whether you're failing or winning at an event, you're always staying motivated to go on to the next thing, which is incredible. But I think that's on goal setting. So I think if you, when I, when I got my license, I had people in the class and their goal was to pass their real estate license, keep the existing job and do one or two closings a year as some passive income. So if that's your goal, that's going to be your goal. You know, either going to get nothing or you get one or two closings. My goal immediately was to get back to some semblance of financial success to where I was before with trading. So then your goal is higher, and then what's the next step? You have your goal. That's all great, but 
you got to put some foundation behind it. So you got to right. look for mentors. So I looked to you. You know, I read books on very successful brokers. Like, what do you do? How do you build a business? And then, you know, it's a couple of years of work to get to where you want to be. But, uh, but yeah, you can get there. It's uh, the, My office makes fun of me, or our office makes fun of me all the time about this. My favorite quote is, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And it's the plan piece of it that 100%. I feel like people miss. But I think that's a good thing. When you talk about goal setting, a lot of people say, um, set goals. So if I just say, we use jujitsu as an example. A, a new student starts, he's a white belt, he's just learned jujitsu. He says, you know, my goal is to be a black belt. But that's that's so far, you know, that's at least a decade of hard training, unless right. he's a you know BJ Penn kind of athlete. Then that's you know three four years. But even in that case, it's still three four years of every day, twice a day, living that lifestyle. So you have to. I think the the key is you break your goals down. So I think you want to have um, who's who's that great real estate mentor who we love his book Gary Keller. Yeah, Gary Keller. He wrote a great book called The One Thing. And I always thought you you should set your goals as you know, like a one-year goal, and then you kind of break that down maybe into quarters. And then each quarter, you might say, you know, in three months, I want to lose this much weight. So what is that every week? And then over four quarters, that's one year. What's my, And then in the back of my mind, what's my five-year goal? So I always had that. I always had my one-year goals, which I kind of broke up a little bit, and then my five-year goals. The one thing from his book, the one thing it talked about is what is your one-day goals? And I think I got to the stage where... I made a lot of money when I was young and then I left that work and I was kind of pursuing all my athletic goals and most of them I either achieved or I didn't I didn't achieve but by the time I retired from fighting they were no longer important and I was kind of for a bit a little bit lost and I realized what the reason I was lost is because I had my one-year goals my five-year goals I never had my one-day goals and I think that's really important is you've always got to be you've always got to have like maybe you're 28 years old you're you're crushing your career you've got some other things going on one day you want to have the american dream right the white picket fence house in the suburbs a beautiful wife by your side two kids and a dog you don't know when you know it depends on when you meet the woman that's kind of a one-day goal or another one you know one day goal might be to have enough passive income where you don't have to work full-time you can just work part-time and live your life but you don't know when it's going to be it kind of depends on a lot of things so that for me was great and and i think that's that one day goal that doesn't have a timeline, but it's kind of, it'll shape your more short-term goals. And I think that, that for me, I read that book on a, on a flight somewhere. I think I was flying back from California and I had a couple of coffees and I was all focused and I couldn't, it blew my mind, you know, because I read that book at the right time, just when I was kind of goalless and I was trying to figure out what, what, what is the next step. Yeah. So I love that. And you've been such a big mentor to me and read this book, read that book. And I read that book. It's an oh, amazing book. And I think and people don't know this about Lawrence, he writes his goals down. He has, you know, visuals of his goals. You're, mm. you take it so far and your goals are so visual to you that you taught me something. You taught me to write my goals down more, make them visual and really kind of keep me on track with some of my goals. But I equate it to a lot of realtors and then business folks as, you know, that annual goal even is too big to just look at. It's too far away. If I told you, Lawrence, I want to lose 50 pounds this year, you would look at me and say, that's a lot of weight. 100%. But if I said I want to lose a pound this week, you'd say, okay, stupid, don't eat Chipotle this week and you'll lose a pound. Pound a week for 52 weeks is 52 pounds. I think what people miss is being able to be successful for that many weeks. I call it winning the week. Try to win your week, and if you win enough weeks, you should be able to hit your goal. But that's great. The the owner of the the very rapidly growing and very successful company on it that does a lot of sports supplements, Mm -hmm. he wrote a book, and it's called, I think it's called Own the Day. 
And he says, he talks a lot about momentum and things like that. And he said, listen, get, just forget about even the week. Today, get up. And he's got this whole thing in his book. He said, you know, get up in the morning, have a bunch of water, get a light sweat out, get, try and get, you know, five minutes of natural sunlight, you know, start your day, maybe a little meditation. And then just even just starting your day right means that you're probably going to end the day right. And just having one good day, it'll be easier to get one of the second day. You know, and I think that's a big thing with, with depressed people. And I've been in this position in, in a couple of times in my life. Intellectually, you know that whatever you're suffering through, and you're going to get past it intellectually, but you can't imagine getting past it, if that makes sense. And I think that's, that's why when people are struggling in, in whatever they're going through, forget about trying to get to the end goal of three months down the road or three years down the road. Win, win the day, you know, and then that'll be easy to win the week. And then once you won a week, it's going to be a lot easier to win the next week, you know. So yeah. I think that's definitely true. Do you, and I know you and I used to, and I'm, this is the biggest thing I miss about the city. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, bromance in a second. And if you guys have any <laughs> questions for Lawrence, put them in the comments and I'll, I'll ask Lawrence. But I used to love ending my day. We used to go on a dog walk and it would just kind of reset our goals. We would you know, talk. Now I put my dog out and I don't get that. And in the mornings, I used to just take him for a walk. And you do get that sunlight and that, mm -hmm. you know, refresh, restart the day. Now in the suburbs, I don't really get that. I get a long drive to the city. What do you do in the mornings? Because I know you have some stuff you do in the mornings to start your day off. Yeah, so a lot of people... I'm a little different because I'm not a morning person, but I. I will have my phone. I'm working late like you. Yeah. So I will have my phone off in the morning and then I do two things. I have um, the, the, the whole thing about the difference between a happy person and an unhappy person tends to not be circumstances. It tends to be our perceptions of our circumstances. So it comes down to appreciation. So it doesn't matter if you've got X, Y, and Z in your life that's a debacle but you have A, B, and C that's good. If you wake up in the morning and you say, okay, I'm so grateful for what I do have, whatever it is, the fact that we're alive as long as we're not you know, on our deathbed is something, right? So like, it doesn't matter how bad your situation is. The first thing you should do in the morning is just write down, it takes me you know, 30 seconds or 20 seconds. I have this old notebook by my bed. My alarm goes off. I hate the mornings. I'm always like, oh, wish I could sleep a little bit more. But I grab it. I grab a pen and I just write down some of the things I'm grateful for and then a couple of things what I'm happy I'm going to do that, that day or that week, whether it's like competing next weekend, I'm following my dream, I'm healthy, I'm alive, you know, I've got an awesome fiance, I've got two dogs, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, you know. So I think that's good. And then um, honestly, I think I just start my day and I just, I try and do it. So I, the way I structure it, I try and either work for an hour or two and then I try and get a workout early. Because I think if you don't, I think you got to get your body moving. I think the biggest problem, and I know when, people that are very busy, I, I know that the days that I don't do that and I say I'll walk out tonight at seven o'clock, I'm frazzled by that, I'm exhausted, you know, so I have to, I think getting exercise early on, it's, for me, if I get a good workout in early on, my day's won, doesn't matter what I do the rest of the day, I've won the day already, so I think that's my key, I think is exercise. I gotta do that, I work, you know this, because we text each other almost every night till two in the morning, I rarely work out early I always work out so late, but I always work out so exhausted. And a lot of times I get to, you know, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and I'm like, ah, I can skip it today. I'll do it tomorrow. And then that was, I skip the next day. But when you were doing your weight, weight loss challenge, that was amazing because you were absolutely exhausted. At the end of the day, you forced yourself to work out. That was great. But then, you know, you, you're all fired up from the workout. You have all the endorphins. It's very hard to reset and sleep well. So I think if you just do it earlier, it's just some, like I'll do a second workout later, just lightweights or light cardio or something. 
But I think hard working out has to be, I mean, some people can't, but I think it's if you can do it earlier, it just gets you ready for the day, you know? So I yeah. think that's... So you mean I should go to noon jujitsu classes with you and Jay and 100%. everybody else? <laughs> Actually, being that I signed up for the Chicago Open, I have to start going because I don't want to train twice and then get my ass kicked because I, that, I, I, I don't like losing. You didn't know I signed up? I'm signed up. So I signed up. I don't like to lose. Um, so I should start going to Wednesday noon classes because we have this always Wednesdays at 3. So John's looking at me like, Make sure you come. But it's a block away, so I just keep telling myself I should go at noon, perfect, finish training, yeah. and then come here. Even though in my head I was telling myself I would go to Wednesday night classes, but then I'm fairly exhausted. Yeah. I think that and the problem with our work is not that we're – I don't think I'm, I'm not doing anything hard physically during the day. But I think mentally I have so many names and properties and people and little tiny things. It might be 50 things I've got to do, and they could all be a minute or two. Email this guy. Text that guy get this set up but it's so much around my head it makes you physically tired so i think that's why do a little bit obviously you wake up you've got a few things to do early on but then get your workout done before you're mentally tired because so much of exhaustion we feel tired but physically we're not tired we haven't really done anything it's mental mental exhaustion that that's really what it is for me by the time i get home and my day is structured weird because I have, you know, uh, coaching and training realtors for a big part of the day. And then I have my own real estate clients. I got some of the stuff at the law firm. Now we have Bidmojo. So when I get home, I am just starting to dig out of emails. So I'm dealing with fires at night. So by the time I'm done digging out of emails, my mind is just like, uh, I want to take a nap or go to sleep now. Right. It's very hard. So I have to figure out a way. Maybe not stay up texting you till 2 go to sleep a little bit earlier and then get my workouts in earlier. But the other thing is a lot of people are talking about that intermittent fasting and I think it's great. I think days that I, so basically what you're trying to do is instead of waking up and having breakfast and then eating throughout the day until late at night, so your eating window is maybe, you know, 16 hours and then you sleep eight hours and you're not eating for those eight hours, try and reverse it. So try and shorten your eating window and have a longer time when you're not eating. So you can have the same amount of calories, but just by switching it around. Um, so that's the new thing that everything, everyone's talking about. And I know for myself, too, when I do that, so the days, you know, you can get up, maybe do a bit of work, work out on an empty stomach, and then then eat. You're so much more focused. So you can kind of play with that, too. Um, that's that's really great. Do you do that now, or are you? I'm Yeah, so it's, I'm, I've been doing it because I'm one of those guys where I'm always hungry. So I eat first thing in the morning, and I eat before I go to bed. And it's not what you're supposed to do. So I'm trying to shorten that window. It's not easy, but I'm working on it. Yeah. See, I'm good at that because I can go a long go time without day. eating. Exactly. But then I eat like a fatty when I do eat. I mean, I just eat Chipotle or I eat something bad. So <laughs> it's shortening that window and then eating correctly. Right. Eating correctly is my problem. Not but also the days you do that. I mean, if you, you already notice it, when you get up in the morning and you start doing some work and your blood isn't in your stomach digesting food. You feel like you've had a coffee and you haven't. You don't really drink coffee, but you feel just very clear with your thoughts. And then I'm, I hate working out in the morning. I'm not a morning person. But when you, when you force yourself to get through the workout, you, just, you feel so great. You've had no stimulants. You've got your workout in. You haven't eaten. Then you can eat kind of a light breakfast and start your day and you're already winning. So that's, um, that's huge, I think. And you drink a ton of water. Because, I mean, you're, you're doing it now, but you are just constantly. I know yeah, we, I think, we used to go out on showings together, and uh, you would have a gallon yeah. <laughs> of water, and I had nothing. And you're like, you're I've not been with you for eight anything. hours. You drink nothing. I'm like, how do you do it, bro? How can you survive? Yeah. But what's crazy for me is, and Evan Shai was really all on top of me when I started working out with him. 
shout out to Evan too, he's like, you got to drink at least a gallon of water a day. So when I started to drink a ton of water, I felt so much better throughout the day. My energy levels were higher just drinking water. Yeah, they said there was some study. So I remember when I was in a trading pit, I used to, when I was real tired, I would stand all day and be shouting and thinking and it was exhausting. And there was some study where if you just flush like force liters of water down, it kind of helps waking you up. So I used to, that's when I started doing it was, uh, was when I was trading. But I think if you, my brother, I remember when I, when he was young, he was a teenager and he was trying to be a bodybuilder and he's naturally pretty lean. So it was hundred percent the wrong sport for him to try (laughs) to do it. But so what he did is he kept reading about more calories, more calories. So he was lifting a lot of weights, but he was force feeding himself, I mean, insane meals. Like his dinner would have, you know, 100 grams of protein, mixing all these things together, combining the wrong types of foods. It was terrible. But so he started, and he always had, you know, he never really had childhood acne or anything. And then he so he, obviously he's forcing, <laughs> eating so much together and just forcing so much food in his system. He started to get really bad skin from it. I think he had a bit of psoriasis and he freaked out. So he went to see this nutritionist who's, world famous in London and she said if you do one thing I mean there's all these different things that I want you to do right but she said out of this list if you should do one thing just drink a lot of water because you know basically everything that's good for you when it digests it digests alkaline in your body everything that's bad for you tends to digest acidic in your body but by drinking water water's just alkaline for your body so it's like if you're going to do one thing and it's so easy I mean how hard is it just to Right, and not carry a water bottle around, just drink water. Yeah, pretty much everywhere you go is water fountains. <laughs> John's <laughs> taking sips of his water now. He's like, exactly. I want to look. Every day, man, every day. So. He's like, yeah, he's like, I want to look like Lawrence. I'm going to just keep drinking this water. But you stay active all the time. When you go on vacation, and John, you'll appreciate this, he went to California, did a jujitsu competition recently. And I thought, you know, okay, he's in California, he'll relax. And then you ran a half marathon <laughs> through the Mojave Desert. And I didn't know he was doing this. And I got a text message from him like, hey, just finished the Mojave Desert Half Marathon. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I remember, I'll never forget, he did a MMA fight, a, a grueling MMA fight, uh, won his MMA fight, and then went to Thailand on a vacation. And then he's like, hey, buddy, I always wanted to run the Bangkok Marathon. So I just ran the marathon. I'm like, but you're not training to run a marathon. How did you run 26.2 miles just to do it? Um, which I was like, you're nuts. <laughs> but um, you always stay active. I mean, even on vacation. But I think I think that's the key is that um, for me, vacation is more about mental rest than physical rest. And I think I don't feel good. If, I, if I'm on vacation and I sleep in, I have a huge breakfast at the resort, I'm sitting by the, by the pool, I, I get very lethargic. Like my dream vacation, I actually had this with my awesome fiance who's very active would would get up in the morning, maybe maybe I'll go to a jiu-jitsu gym or get a quick workout in the morning, have breakfast, hang out by the pool for half the day. Then go go to a Whole Foods, get a smoothie so I'm not eating a real heavy meal, and then go hiking for three hours. Like for me, that's and you're you're out, you're enjoying the play, you know, you're not that for me is is way more relaxing than just sitting doing absolutely nothing. Cause I don't know, I just I love to trust me, there's nothing like Joe Rogan had a thing on his podcast and he said if I have a hard day and I get home and I put my feet up, I enjoy it so much because I've earned that TV time. Yeah. And I think that's the key is if, you, if you're out of work or you're whatever, independently wealthy, and you get up in the morning and you've got no goals, nothing to do, and you put your feet up and you watch you know, eight hours of Netflix, after two hours, it's just, it's, there's a law of diminishing returns for, for, for that kind of relaxation. Whereas when you earn it, then you really enjoy it. I think that's kind of the same with staying active. It's, I feel better... 
doing something than just sitting around doing nothing. Just uh, don't pick up any more hitchhikers, John. So he's on he's on <laughs> vacation, and I see this photo of. I think it was you or uh, Jen, Jen sitting yeah. like in front of some weird looking dude and they're in the middle of a, <laughs> like a rainforest. And I'm like, who's that dude? <laughs> and they're like, he was a hitchhiker. We picked him up and I'm like, what? You guys picked up a hitchhiker? That, uh, I was like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, what's the worst you know? that could happen? I mean, I get that he's a professional was, fighter, Golden Gloves champ, black belt in jiu-jitsu, funny. but fine. I can't believe it. No, 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 what happened was we went hiking and we got horribly lost. And then we actually came kind of back to the trail and it was getting dark. And we're like, oh, thank God we met this couple. And then they were like, oh, you know, like we were lost too. We're like, okay. So we're, we're like telling them which way to go. So they're walking out with us. And then he's like, yeah, so I hitchhiked here. Can I get a ride home? And I couldn't say no. <laughs> but then oh. I was in the car and uh, Jen, Jen's like, yeah, so Lauren, my, um, my fiance, just, he taught a jiu-jitsu class this morning. Like she just dropped that <laughs> in the conversation. Hit. I'm like, baby, uh-huh. he looked like the least threatening guy I've ever seen. You know, nice guy from Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, oh, it's funny. I was laughing so hard when I read that you guys p- picked up a hitchhiker and Jen messaged me and she said, uh, yeah, I uh, I made sure to drop the hint that he's a lethal weapon and not to mess with us. But And this guy's probably like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. She told me, why did I get in this car? He yeah. was actually a huge UFC fan. It was funny. So then we got chatting. Yeah, talking that's about awesome. UFC, yeah. But that, I mean, you're just a nice guy. So you're just a kind guy. You would pick up a hitchhiker. I, I mean, I... <laughs> pride myself on being a pretty nice guy. I don't know what I would do in that situation if somebody was in the... I mean, it's getting dark and he's like, hey, can yeah, I Yeah, they were kind home? of stranded. Uh, you know. yeah, it's a tough, tough <laughs> It's hard spot. to say no when you get... If, if I had driven past him and he had his thumb out, I probably would have kept driving. <laughs> yeah. But when you were hiking with him for five minutes and he's like, hey, buddy, can you so, help me out? <laughs> so if you are listening and you are a hitchhiker, if we have any hitchhikers listening, you need to find Lawrence when he's not driving by you and then ask him for a ride in you person. Spend five minutes with them. Yeah. And he'll take you anywhere you want to go. Wherever you want to go. But he's a lethal weapon. Oh, um, so what's the next trip? You're going somewhere. Well, you're going to England now. Yes, I'm doing the – there's a jiu-jitsu competition in two weeks. It's the British uh, Championships. Wait, I thought that's in September. So there's two. There's like um, – there's one in September, different organization, but the IBJF – it's in two weeks. Okay. So for those that don't know, and you got a bunch of people uh, commenting right now, Lawrence, and I'll, I'll read some of these out because you have a ton of fans. Um, you got Mark uh, Worley saying, you know, agreed early workouts, set a mental preparation for the day. Ryan Foley, love it. David said, made it. Um, Jonathan Beaner said, that's what I do. Donnell, I think you may have competed against him, actually. He said, morning workouts are the best, clears my head for the day, and that's my me time. Everyone should do it. Oh, Donnell, this path. Yeah. Um, got tons of people. Justin, uh, our past guest, he's, he's commenting as well. You've taken jujitsu and made it such a big part of your life now before it was boxing. Um, was it always a love just for martial arts that got you from boxing to jujitsu, or w- what got you loving the two sports? Yeah, it's so weird. I think... Uh it's so funny because our good friend Christian, he got into when when we were fighting together. I said, "Oh, how did you get started?" And he said, "I was watching the Va- Van Damme movies, Kickboxer and Bloodsport." And it was honestly the same for me. I was a very, sh- I was the least like. There's two types of of fighters, I think, in in the UFC. You have the the guys that if they weren't fighting professionally, would probably be going out drinking and and fucking guys up. You know, like fighting on the streets. Yeah. they're just kind of natural fighters. And then you have the guys like St. Pierre epitomized it. He was bullied at school. He was kind of a shy, introverted guy, very, very smart. Um, And he kind of started that, you know, as a traditional martial artist. And then that kind of evolved and led to him getting into 
didn't stop fighting. But even even all the way through his career, he always said I, he he loved the preparation, but he hated the fighting. He'd always wake up on fight day and wish there was some accident to the arena. They'd have to cancel the fight. And it was so he's saying that as you know the long long standing champion of his weight class. And I loved hearing that because I remember that was always the same for me too. It was always for me just number one as a kid. I guess you you wanted to feel like you can handle yourself, and then but then it became it was just that my my biggest competitor was myself. So I was always just trying to grow and push yourself. If you go into a boxing gym and you're just hitting the bag, and the coach says, "Hey, do you want to spar?" It's very different. So if he's saying, "Hey, you know, you signed up for the Golden Gloves in six weeks." You, you're going to have a real tough, you know, 16 guys in your division. It's a tournament. You want to try and win it. It's going to give you the motivation to do it properly. And I think that's how it started was I just went to actually to a jiu-jitsu gym, Carlson Gracie gym back in the day. And it was my old boxing coach was like, hey, you've got the jaw of a fighter. You should you should come by. And I was like, oh, it's awesome. Boxing and jiu-jitsu in the same place. And I never even wanted to fight. I was working full time. I was always about the, my career. And he was like, oh, you should do the Golden Gloves. And I was like, okay. And it was just, and then it became, you know, I didn't win the first year. I, I think I got to the semifinals. And I was like, okay, that's my goal, you know, to win the Golden Gloves. Then when I won the Golden Gloves, a lot of guys I trained with, actually, they won the Golden Gloves too. And then that was it. That they'd, they'd had enough. And I was like, well, I could be like them. I could just call it a day. Or I could try to, you know, do, do I was doing jiu-jitsu at the time. UFC, you know, MMA was very new. I was like, what, a, what an amazing challenge. You know, there's some statistic that something like 50% of males believe in high school they could be a, um, a professional athlete, but only like 2% could. Or, uh, some, some statistic. Probably even less than we, we that. All, we all, over, it's, and it's a very, like something like 60% of people believe they're in the top 25% of anything, not athletic, just of, of life, right? So we have a big overestimation of our own abilities because obviously it can't be 60% in the top 25. It's only the 25%. So I think that was the key. It was always the challenge for me. So it was always something I was very scared of, something I didn't enjoy the actual... I, it's fine when you start, but all the anxiety and the build-up and everything, I hated it. But if you do something that you hate, it you grow, right? So yeah. I think that's what... I mean, I remember driving you to weigh-ins and then going to your fights. And I always... He's such a nice guy, and you don't ever get into a physical altercation with everybody. You're right. There's some people who just like to get in fist fights. You know, there's right. stories of Stefan Bonner just kind of going out and getting into just fights yeah, exactly just because he likes to fight. Yeah. And then you were always so nice to your opponents. You're like, I really don't want to hurt this guy. And right. there's a couple opponents where you beat him up, and you could even tell in the middle of the fight you could have hurt them worse, and you were just like looking at the ref like, yeah, stop hard. this thing. I'm not going to hit him any harder than I'm hitting him. Whereas we're screaming, keep punching his you know, head <laughs> off and you're just being a nice guy. But you could always tell for you it was just a personal challenge, not so much a challenge to go out there and hurt the other guy. I think that's fair. Yeah, for yeah sure. which is awesome. Justin has a question for us. Um, he said, speaking back on the mental taxation of your professions, either one of you guys ever consider hiring a personal assistant to help manage your business dealings? I'd give you the question that's, first. That's a great question. Um, I was actually just thinking about hiring one about six months ago. And then I listened to a podcast and the guy said, if you think about, you think you need a personal assistant, make some changes in your life because you're doing it wrong. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting approach. And I think there's some truth to that. It's not that I wouldn't, but it's, I think it, the problem with our job is it's too personal. So right. it's, I find it bad enough when I'm traveling to be like, you know, a client that I'm working with for something 
say, hey, I'm out of town this week. My colleague, whoever, will meet you. And, and I feel like most people don't like that. And it's, I think, the same for you, too. Yeah. So much of what we do, it's not really what we do. It's more about the... It's about the confidence. It's about the relationship, and they kind of want you. So it's very tough. It's, and also, I think you know a lot of the stuff we do. If you have to explain to an assistant to do it, it's almost easier to do it yourself. Yeah. So yeah, it's something that I think I would be open to the right person. It's also the person you want as an assistant is basically you five years ago that you didn't know as much as they have the same character traits. But they don't know as much. But most yeah. of those people don't want to be someone's assistant. They want to be learning themselves. Exactly. It's very, very, very tough. Yeah, it's tough. And I agree. I think for me, I, we have great staff. I have great staff and partners at the law firm. You know, I got great staff at Main Street and partners. John and I work incredibly well together here at Wheelhouse, Bidmojo. So I have a lot of partners in things. Yeah. But an assistant for me is a weird thing. So when people ask me all the time, and this is to answer uh, Justin's question, I don't know what I would have my assistant do. Because like you said, if it's an email, I respond to my emails at night. Text messages, I respond in real time. You know, some people say, well, your assistant can pick up your laundry and go, you know, grab, you know, schedule your flights. I'm like, that takes me two seconds to do. On my way home, I'll grab my laundry. I'll schedule my flights when I want to schedule my flights. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing for me to get somebody to do. And I also don't like telling people do this for me. I guess I just have a weird personality. And I just don't like telling somebody to do something for me that I feel like as an adult or an adult human, I can just go do myself. But also then it comes down to, I remember my dad um, he was a pilot and he had, you had a, a minimum amount you had to work to keep your pilot's license. Then you had a maximum amount you were allowed to work to not be an over, you know, overflown pilot who's going to be tired and crash the plane. So they were very strict with these rules and he always worked the absolute minimum he could. And then he would do stuff, you know, he would mow his own lawn, he would do stuff around the house. And I remember he was telling me once when I was a kid, he was like, yeah, these guys I work with, these, you know, my friends who are pilots, they work the absolute maximum hours. They're crushing it. They're making a lot more than me. Then they use that money. They pay for a gardener. They pay for this. They pay for that. And he's like, but I enjoy being here with you, you know, hanging out in the garden, the sun. Like, I, I don't want to just work and have everything done for me. And that's, that's my whole life is just work. And I think there's, there's some truth to that. There's definitely a balance. I'm sure like a lot of stuff I feel like it's kind of arrogant to say, but like I'm kind of better than just doing this menial paperwork. I wish I could just focus on the bigger picture stuff. But there's also also something to be said with maybe you need some more partners. You need, need some more just to make a few changes. So you're, I don't know. It's it definitely I, it's, a, it's a complicated question. I think I have a lot of good teammates in everything I do. I don't necessarily have somebody to be an assistant. assistant but yeah. uh, we have a... Justin said, Roger, Dad, thanks for the answer, fellas. Uh, Jay Valco, our uh, jiu-jitsu coach um, slash mentor, and also a very, very influential guy. We've got to have Jay on the show. Uh, he said, LD, recommend three books. Genre doesn't matter. And he said, Mo and or LD, I'm not convinced real estate is a better investment than the stock market. Ooh, especially considering the barriers to entry. Am I wrong? So that's two good slash big question so three bucks we'll go with that one first and then uh i'm excited to answer question number two so the three bucks no genre yeah it's real tough with books because um you know I, i've read a lot over the years so just i recommend it to jay salman rushdie's biography um I, I think it's called joseph anton very very interesting story um about salman rushdie when the the fatwa he wrote he wrote a novel an english citizen wrote a novel in England and he had um he had a death threat on his head from uh, some angry people um I think it was the in in Iran and uh and basically the 
the government in England, the politicians didn't want to lose the Muslim vote in England. So they basically just left. They didn't really do anything about it. So he lost a decade of his life in hiding. It's fascinating, especially now with all the political stuff going on now. That's a fascinating book and kind of an insight to to, to politicians in England, which is kind of bad. Um, that's a great book. I think the one thing. Um, I think that's because that's funny that that I didn't even that was recommended to me. I didn't even know that was by a real estate guy. Our real estate guy. I've read his other books. And a, and a friend who doesn't do real estate, an attorney friend, Chris Martins, who's great. Love Chris. Shout yeah, out he, to Chris. Too. He recommended it. And um, that's a really good book on goal setting. Um, and I think I, I'll give one I read last couple of weeks ago on vacation. Um, Primo Levi. It's called If 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 This Is a Man. And it's basically he's an Italian uh, prison of war survivor. A fascinating book. It's uh, Sometimes it's good to read stuff like that. He's an incredible author. So the way he describes what he went through is, is very, very well written. And also his story is so harrowing. I think it's good. Like it's good. To, all this stuff, life. I, I love all the stuff we complain about now, you know, complain there's not three bathrooms for people that don't know which gender there are. All these things. I, I think it's a consequence of how good life is. And I think life is so good in 2018. We're finding things to complain about because that's what we do. And it's really good to look back <laughs> what some of these poor people went through. And uh, and what's so crazy is he's not bitter about it. He got through, he survived, and he wasn't like ha- hateful and this and that. It's, it's an incredible read. So I'd say those three. That, and Jay, um, I've, both you and Jay have always given book recommendations. Jay writes a lot of them on Facebook, and I take a lot of Jay's recommendations, and I'll put them into my Audible list. And I've been bad lately. I haven't been um, reading or listening to a bunch of them. And then obviously when we'd be on dog walks, a lot of the books I've read are thanks to you. So shout out to that. I agree on that. We We have such a good thing going in 2018, and we complain about so much crap. You know, look back 50 years even and look at like our families and our parents and how they had to grow up and how difficult things were even the smallest things access to information set aside like how easy life's become with our smartphones and access to going and getting meals as opposed to ancestors many generations ago had to go out and hunt their meals and bring it home and cook it but even 50 years ago no you're right like a high school kid today has way more access to information than the president a generation ago yeah it's insane the president of the u.s you know, has a lot less access than we do now. So that's, that's yeah. Weird. When I did book reports, I had to go to a library, check out books, look at an encyclopedia, try to learn something, and now somebody pops it in their, their Google, and there's the answer and a million sub answers to it. Everything's become so simple and easy that I feel like people can't deal with what should be normal stress effectively, and right. then it just goes to kind of groaning and moaning and kind of the the. It, and and I like, I like these these expressions. Um, I'm not going to say them, but about the certain types of privileges and this and that, it, it always makes me laugh because look at you and I right now. Your dad moved here and then he wanted to get his medical degree, but he didn't want to pay for the U.S. prices for medical school. So he went to, was it Guadalajara? He, he, my, so my dad was having difficulty getting in in the U.S. It was right when... Uh, kind of everything between uh, Iran and the U.S. was happening. And they left because they didn't like the new uh, regime. So he's here. So he moved. He had to learn English, um, put himself through college, and then go to Guadalajara, Mexico, learn Spanish, and then go through medical school there, and then come back here and grow right. a business. And so, so I th- laugh. So th- think about that journey he went through. And then now if he's driving a nice car and he's, you know, someone sees him, it's, oh, it's okay for him. It's like, well, how did he get there? And the same with my dad. My my great grandfather was a victim of the Holocaust, so my granddad 
went to England, couldn't speak English, didn't didn't have a degree or anything, struggled, raised four kids. My dad grew up incredibly poor, but through hard work, got into Cambridge University and got him, you know, the, wow. the best master's degree there. They begged him to stay on and get his PhD. And he said, that's fine. I want to travel the world. He just got his a job as a pilot. But it's like, that, like w- honestly, today, of course, it is easier with privileged kids. Um, but then, you know, on the other on the other side, there's a credible statistic. There's so few second generation millionaires because it's almost harder for kids that grow up with everything. They don't have motivation. Yeah. Whereas kids, some 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 very successful people grew up struggling, and that was their burning drive to achieve the great success that they had. So it's almost like a two edged sword. Um, you know, if you you want to give your kids everything, and if you work you work hard and you're successful, but yet you also have to get them to you want them to be driven. You want them to have their own goals. You want them to understand money. And uh, that's that's a great challenge that we're going to face. You know, if, if things keep going well and you raise kids, like how, how, that's a, something I'm thinking about now at that age. But yeah. I think that's it's something that's thrown around so much. Oh, it's okay for him. And I've heard you say, oh, it's okay for Mo. Like he grew up rich or something. And I'm like, man, I've seen you. I've seen everything you've done. It's all through hard work and 100-hour yeah. work weeks. So it always, I hate that. I think that's my biggest pet hate is people that, See a successful person and say, ah, it's okay for him. Anyone successful have to be, like I said about trading in the beginning, you can be the best trader in the world, but if you're trading a product, if you're trading, you know, Fed funds and interest rates are at zero and not moving, you can be the best trader in the world. You're not going to make any money. Just like, um, you know, um, Bill Gates was so successful because he was coding as a kid just at the right time, you know? Right. And so, of course, anyone that's successful, we have to be, you have to have some, some of the cards have to be right, you know? You have to have the right foundation. It's the idea of people say, oh, at the right, you have to be at the right place at the right time. I think you have to be the right person at the right right, place at the right time. I think there's a third key to that, that you can be at the right place at the right time. If you're not the right person, that's not going to work. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I get that sometimes, you know, oh, your dad was successful. Yeah. When I was 15, he made me go work, you know, and I didn't go and take over dad's medical practice. I went and did everything I did on my own. And of course, I mean, I, I say that, but I also am very, very lucky to have had an incredible mentor and incredible parents that mentored me in, in a way that um, well, he I had no excuse. You, but, you know, he was always, even when he was very successful, still working, in my opinion, yeah. way too hard, a crazy long week. So he showed you by example. Um, and my dad didn't. My dad want, wanted to work less and enjoy life. He's definitely shown me that by example. But he also, growing up, I never had anything. And he said, you know, if you want, you want, you want five, five pounds, go mow the lawn, you know, like he would right. always make me do That's something. That's what I did too. I had to mow the lawn. Yeah. But I had jobs, you know, delivering papers when I was 10, 12, whatever paper. And then I worked at a store when I was 14, 15, 16. Like I was always working because he told, he, he, we had a, I had a great upbringing. I got to travel a lot with him because that was his job. He would take the family on, on his, on his trips when he was flying places so I had a, I had a great lifestyle. I'm not complaining, but also I was never given anything. It always had to be earned, and I think that's the secret: is anything that we get given, no matter how great it is, you don't appreciate it. It's like it, it's the same as if you know, um, if you're super wealthy and you know your kid turns 16 and you buy him a brand new car, a sports car. It's like yeah, he's great. He's going to enjoy it for a few days, but he won't understand the same satisfaction of struggling, 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 achieving success like someone like Ray. And then when Ray's restaurant, you know, if if he keeps keeps getting great success, and then he can get get his Lamborghini, he keeps talking about yeah. It's but he's he got a tattoo it. that says Lamborghini. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Shout out to our buddy Ray. 
he's so dedicated to this Lamborghini thing yeah. that he actually got a tattoo on his leg that says Lamborghini. So I'm rooting that's, for you. That's his long-term goal for sure. That's his one-day goal. I'm no, rooting for him. But that's the thing is, and I think that's that's exactly the, the same why people that do things like fighting or something, the difference in, it's a weird, you can go out any night of the week, have a good dinner with friends, get absolutely wasted and party all night. It's a lot of fun. But that fun, it's too easy. You can't compare that to the kind of satisfaction you get from from eight weeks of dieting, training really hard, pushing yourself, and then say winning a fight or something. It's a very different type of satisfaction because it it, it was much harder to get. And I think that's the key is, is things that are really worthwhile tend to be a little bit harder to get the things that are that are easier yeah so john just uh asked me a question from from back there he said what restaurant it's a restaurant called cheese may and it's in san francisco so a friend of ours ray who uh we I, I grew up with him and lawrence has known him for a long time he went out to san francisco and he started this uh it's like a taco spot in san francisco and they just and he was not a guy who i would have ever in a million he was pre-med for a long time i would have never imagined would have a restaurant he's busting butt out there in uh but it's san francisco yeah it's awesome he he just wasn't really getting to where he wanted to be here and he had the opportunity there and he just picked up and left and that's exactly what you have to do when you know before you have the roots and you're already settled somewhere or even if you do have roots if things aren't working for you and there's an opportunity somewhere else you got to go and I actually saw him there. I was kind of lay over there and, and I stopped by and we had some dinner. And it was great. Like he's absolutely killing it. He's working so hard. But I can see he's happier than when he wasn't. Yeah. Because he's moving towards that goal. The Lamborghini, 100%. the success. He feels like he's more, has more validation in life. So it's it's really great. Um, let's answer Jay's question because a couple people are oh. starting to kind of piggyback on that. He said, uh, I'll repeat it, Mo and LD. I'm not convinced real estate is a better investment than the stock market, oh, especially yeah. considering the barriers to entry. Am I wrong? I'll say yes, you're wrong, but I'll let Lawrence, who's been successful in investing in both, answer because you have well, been. Well, so, you know, obviously things are moving around, so my numbers might be slightly off, but just very broadly, um, since, you know, the big kind of correction, 2008, 2010, I think the stock market is up 400%. So even if you adjust for inflation, it's still way higher than it was. And I think that all the kind of metrics you value stocks are in territories we haven't really seen before. And all the long-term models show it's way overbought. Whereas if you look at real estate adjust, adjusted for inflation, it's way below it was when it was you know 2009 prices. So I think that's one thing to consider. I think it's just one for me personally seems overbought. I mean, listen, I'm talking about Midwest Chicago real estate. East Coast, West Coast real estate is very, very high. They didn't really have those kind of pullbacks. Same in London. So we're being very specific here. Um, the barrier of entry is a, a bit more of a tricky one. But like we've talked before, there's ways, you know, FHA buildings. There's ways around it if you don't have too much cash to put down. But the business model of real estate, it's very different. Are you talking about buying a condo? You know, my condo in Streeterville I had for 15 years, I bought when I just moved here, and it's barely up. I mean, it's up probably 12, 15% in 15 years, a percent a year. It's horrendous. It's a ter- been a terrible investment. But what about, you know, the right four unit in Pilsen? Maybe that if I, if I bought that three years ago, I'm up 30, 40% on that. Plus, on top of that, my tenants are paying down my loan. Plus, I have a positive cash flow. Plus, all the income I'm receiving on it, I'm my accountants depreciating the building, so I'm not paying tax on the income. So you have, there's certain benefits. So I think there's a big difference between, are you talking about 
buying something purely for investment or you're talking about buying something you want to live in? And I agree. I think so for a long-term play, the beauty of real estate obviously is if you're getting a 15, 30-year loan, especially if you're young enough to do it very early on, you're paying down your principal. Um, so you're building equity because there's the pay down the principal, you have the appreciation, you have the tax benefits. And then on top of that, you have the fourth thing, the cash on cash return. So you're right. actually making income every single month right. that you can take and invest in other things like stocks. So you can take that income and then invest it somewhere else as well. And the this hope def- is that you pay it off and it becomes a retirement sort of continuous revenue source. Where right. I don't know if it's as easy to do that with stocks and bonds and the traditional well, exactly, because the thing is, back in 1929, when they had the big, um, the Great Depression, the crash, the reason that a lot of people were killing themselves and, and completely wiped out was because they were buying stocks with 10% down, and they had that leverage. So if you buy a stock with 10% down, it goes up 10%, you've doubled your money. And if it goes down 10%, you're broke, you've lost everything. But most people now, you're buying, you know, whatever you're buying, you're investing, you're buying 100%. Unless you're trading options and everything, that's a whole nother story. But purely for investing in the stock market. But that's the thing, I think, when you're talking about the real estate, that's something as well. You're getting, you're getting the leverage from that. So even if you're an investor and you're putting 25% down for a building and it goes up, you know, 4%, well, you've just made four times that, 16%, because you've had the bank leverage. But right. you're not getting that on stock. So. I think there's a lot of advantages in real estate. You know, that statistic that I think you told me, nine out of 10 multimillionaires have significant stock market uh, real estate holdings. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the first, you know, was it John Astor? I think he was the first American millionaire. He was also the first American multimillionaire. He was called the landlord of Manhattan because he was buying up all the property in Manhattan. So it's, there's there's a lot of advantages to real estate if you do it sophisticated, if, you, if you're doing it in a sophisticated way. You're doing it the right way. That's very different if you're doing things where you're leveraging bank lending, you're leveraging having tenants paying your loan, to you just going out and buying a condo in somewhere like Streeterville where the prices are already very high per square foot, so you don't have too much upside. And, and I think also the volatility over time is less in real estate. So yeah, it's, something, it's something incredibly less. Than yeah, stocks. I mean, you. so the market crashed in 2008 through 12, and it was one of the worst crashes of the real estate market in recent history, and it was very dramatic. The precursors aren't there anymore. But you only lost if you sold during that time. So Correct. if you have income, I tell people who are always afraid of buying real estate, like what happened, people's memories are short. So what happens if it crashes again? So long as it produces income, hold it because that market's going to eventually over time go exactly. back up again. And that actually, just, I just sold, um, shout out to Brian and Kelly, two, two very good friends of mine. Um, she bought a condo with her sister just before the crash, and it and it you know lost a lot of value on paper. She never sold it. We just I just sold it for her last year, and she made a great profit on it because she just waited it out. You know, the whole time she was living there, she didn't have to sell it. Yeah, and I think that's the key: is you can't if you want to play it safe with real estate investing. Just the difference between real estate investing and stock market investing is when people were buying Enron, that was one of the top companies of its day. You don't know behind the scenes all the debacles that are happening, and that thing you know went to zero. You lost everything. If you're buying on a on a twenty five by one twenty five lot, and you're buying a four unit brick building with tenants, and it's insured, which your bank is going to make you get insurance as part of the policy, it's it's never going to go to zero. There'll right. always be some kind of value. So I think that's there's a few advantages to real estate 
that you don't have in the stock market? In, I don't think the barrier of entry is as hard as some people think. So to answer Jay's question, you know, Lawrence touched on an FHA loan. You can live in it, put 3.5% down. You can get a 2.5% credit. Mutual friend of ours, Richie, bought a three-unit building in Pilsen. He put $5,000 down on a $580,000 building. Mm. I don't want to give numbers out, but now it's probably worth, you know, seven and a quarter, exactly. you know, in a couple years. So there's ways to do it. And you don't necessarily have to go as a real estate investor and buy a half million dollar or a $700,000 building, you could be putting 25% down even and be buying a $100,000 building. And right. you know you could be doing things to enter being a real estate investor. And Gary Keller, we keep giving a shout out here of Keller Williams. He um, wrote another book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, yes. that I read. And it, it's really cool because it outlines so many different models of being a real estate investor. And I think there's just different ways to skin the cat. That, that's a really great book too. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that the thing is real estate is definitely harder. And it's one of my big regrets in life is when I was very wealthy from trading and I had all this cash to invest in property. I We bought the one place you were my, you found me a great commercial property, but that was already way too late. I should have, I should have bought a couple of buildings when I had all that cash, you know, five years earlier. But I didn't know because that's the thing is I have an MBA. I read all these books on business. Not many people talk about investing in real estate. It's a real, it's really weird. They're just all... You know, ninety-seven percent of books or whatever, some crazy amount. It's all just you know stocks. It's a, it's a portfolio where you have you know five percent in bullion, five percent in cash, twenty-five percent bonds, sixty percent in stocks or whatever. That's they always some kind of variation on that theme. And there's all these um, studies. You know, nothing beats the stock market over time, and this and that. But most of those studies, those, most of those books were written at the end of a twenty-year bull market in two thousand. You know, when you and, and it's not entirely accurate when you add in the inflation and the, and the tax benefits of real estate and things like that. So, I would argue that it's just something that is. There's so many advantages and ways to make money, but it's much more complicated than just being like, hey, you know, you can you can you can go. You know, five years ago, you could have gone and said, hey, you know, I'm buying everything from from Amazon. It's a great company. I love my new lap, my new iPhone and Apple laptop. I'm going to buy Apple and Amazon's shares, and then you'd be killing it today. It's very easy, right? Just using your common sense. Like, these are great companies. I'm going to invest in these companies. Real estate is a bit more complicated. You have to have people that are going to help you find the way in the loopholes, but then you can still do very well. Yeah. The average millionaire, a good statistic, has seven source of it, sources of income. So, you know, stocks, bonds, that's all part of it, but I think real estate has to be a big part of it if you want long-term financial success and the ability to walk away from stuff and retire, Right. very simply. Yes. Um, that's why I, I, mean, I keep trying to find different revenue streams of income. I'm creating a lot more of them through different businesses that have um, supplemental income coming in, but and I'm guessing John's giving me the, hey, we got about 10 minutes left. We got, oh, a couple minutes left. Um, we might go a few minutes over because there's a couple questions here, but we'll we'll start wrapping it up. Uh, I'll read some of them out. Um, John Demetrius, why is the Wheelhouse Crew so good looking? You're talking about stunning Dunning, not me. <laughs> um, um, there's so many of them, John. Like these, this is the most comments and questions we've had. I guess we can't answer all of these. Um, we'll throw one out there and let's see what happens. I'll throw one out there. Um, yeah. Let me go back up again because there's so many of them. Oh, Jay, <laughs> Jim Michael, shout out to Jim. For those that are considering a career switch in our 40s and 50s and looking to grow their skill sets in a new profession, any thoughts about where to look? Asking for a friend, wink face. Johnny Roto says, not real estate, Jim Michael. <laughs> um, 
you want to answer that one? You know I mean? Well, I think it's got to be something. So we've, we all, you know, Jim, you and I, Johnny, shout out to Johnny Roto. All of us are at that age where we've seen an incredible shift. So there, isn't there some incredible percentage of, of male U.S. workers they're truck drivers and that's all going to be like you know automated driving now so you've it's got to be if you're making a transition um whatever it is it's got to be an industry that's that's on the up as opposed to one of these old industries that's not going to be around in 10 years you know so it's got to i would imagine it'll be something something it based something i mean like where do you go that's a a very open-ended question yeah it's a tough question Um, and even our industry i mean look at I didn't want to go. I could have gone back in the trading floor five years ago, and I think because I'm confident and optimistic, I think I could have made money trading, even though it was much harder. But I knew that there was going to be a. It's all eventually going to be electronic, and they're going to close the exchange for good. So I didn't want to start back doing something knowing it had a, a definite timeline. But it's the same with us with real estate. I mean, it's it's shifted. Look how much every year it's shifting. Redfin are trying to make it almost all. They're trying to take all the business and just it's become so much we more. We won't let than, you, Redfin. Than it used to be. But it's just I think. But there's certain things where there'll always be a human component, right? Like, you, I would imagine most people are going to want a surgeon looking over. If you're not just going to want some machine cutting you open doing surgery, yeah. it's the same. Even just just the the confidence of of like you're buying a half million dollar condo. You might want to just call someone and be like, hey, you know, do, you, do you think this is a good area, this and that? There's certain things where people just want to have some kind of human contact, you know. <laughs> AJ Agazarm, who's a uh, good buddy of ours and another jiu-jitsu world champ, do you ever get the urge to choke out a client? Maybe they're on the fence and you just hit them with an arm bar <laughs> or rear naked to sort of send them over. Oh, God, that's too <laughs> oh, funny. AJ. Yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest challenge for me is I'm a, I'm a pretty calm guy, and I think you're a pretty calm guy, but you and I have definitely called each other at certain. We're, <laughs> we're losing our faith in humanity because people are driving us nuts, and I think, that's, I think that's, I personally think that's the hardest challenge of real estate is number one, just having very difficult, unreasonable clients who are very unappreciative. Yeah. And just honestly, just a text saying, listen, I really appreciate all the stuff you do goes a long way. Huge Whereas long the, way. the opposite, when, when you're just doing, you're going above, you and I both do it. We go, we're successful in real estate because we go above and beyond what 95% of agents do. And, and then you just get these really ungrateful clients. So yeah, you do want to choke them out. But I think that's biting your tongue and, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling sometimes. I've gotten really, really good at just being okay with people being unreasonable. It, it's strange. I mean, I think yeah. that I always tell everybody in life, think about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Think about the reasonableness standard. Uh, we talk about reasonable standard in law. But I tell people, just be reasonable with the other person. And I've found that through just working with people in general. I mean, I deal with so many agents on a day-to-day basis, so many legal clients, and I see it more in law than I do in real estate even because people are kind of, when they're litigating, they're at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. Just be slightly reasonable, people. And I find myself just coming to terms with the fact that people, some people are just not reasonable. I cannot strangle them because that is a um, (laughs) lawsuit waiting to happen. happen. I I think that's very hard for people where if you're, a mid, technically a middleman trying to facilitate a negotiation between a seller who's selling his house and he has a lot of emotion to it and he's got some numbers in his head and a buyer who's very, they've got the fixed budget and, and they're just going back and forth and you're in the middle. You're just trying to facilitate it. Sometimes they both they both kind of 
get yeah you're caught in the crossfires and that's a little frustrating but i think so much of what you and i do it's constant we're constantly getting calls texts emails and that does get overwhelming and i think that's why it's so important to if you work hard you have to play hard too for me as traveling i have to get out of town and also i have to have you know i don't you got to i turn my phone off you know like i gotta have good i need to have time where i just yeah you have to otherwise you're gonna you know lose your mind i think that's important last question before we go because i saw this up there a little while ago from our buddy kyle berger he said i think money something about like money is no topic what are the three top places you would go on that topic of trying to travel and work hard play hard top three places um so Incredible places I've been to. I think Iceland is an amazing country. I think you can go there. You can drive around it in about five days. And it's just, it's like another world. So they did some, some of the astronauts did some training there because it's, it's kind of like the moon, you know, some areas of Iceland. It's an amazing country. So I would definitely say Iceland. Um, I love Hawaii. I don't know why. I love the culture. The, the, you the and be- Timothy most. The, yeah, something about, it's not, you know, the beaches in, in Mexico are way nicer. It's not really the beaches. It's just something about Hawaii. It's just, I, I'm a huge fan of. And I would say Australia, you know, you have less, I think the whole Australian population is something like the same as, you know, in the LA, LA city and LA area. So you have, you know, 20 million people spread out among a, a continent, a country as big as, you know, pretty much the, the, the US, you know. So I think that's just, that's, it's such an unusual country, you know. Just the things you see and, and the experiences. There's some awesome places. In Australia. So that that was seriously money, no object. He didn't say Wisconsin Dells where you could drive up there. You are definitely having to fly out. But all three places I have not gone and I have to go because I keep going back to Mexico. But I'm, you're, you're going to eventually convince me to change my mind. We're no, going but I've been exactly where you were when I remember when I was trading and I was so overwhelmed and overworked. My vacation, I didn't want to go anywhere and explore. I wanted just to to sit on the beach and not leave the I had an argument with an ex-girlfriend because we're in Dominican Republic at all inclusive and she's like honey can we spend the day in the city and I said you can go I'm not moving <laughs> I'm not leaving the all inclusive resort you know so I think I definitely been at that stage in my life where vacations are for you know if if you get a lot out of getting there you get some sun you get to relax it's not really the most adventurous vacation but you get something out of it I think there's different types of trips you go on um so yeah. <laughs> well we uh we went over and everybody knows this you and i can sit here and chat for hours upon hours we used to spend every night walking our dogs for a couple hours and chatting about life in general so we got to have you back on again because there's a couple questions and people said for next time so we're definitely going to have you back on thanks again awesome. for coming on my um, pleasure thank you i constantly am growing and learning because of looking up to you and your advice and everything and uh, we had more people listening this time than any other time and just Every, everybody wants to know what Lawrence is up to and everybody wants your advice. So congratulations on <laughs> I'm humble. obviously Thanks, all the success and everything else. So thank you. Thanks. Brother. Um, next week uh, we will be back live. we got two amazing guests next week, Wednesday again, three o'clock. Uh, I can't wait to see you guys. John, you got anything for them? No more shout outs. No, I think we're good for the day. Awesome. Uh, Thanks again. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for the comments. I like the fact that it's interactive now and we get to answer some of your guys' questions. Um, That's what we want to do. Like us, share us, love us. Um, Like, share, love Lawrence. Um, We really appreciate it and uh, really love all the love that we're getting. So thank you, guys. See you guys next Wednesday at 3. In 3, 2,